Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 77. Hi, I'm David Niven, author of It's Not About the Shark, How to Solve Unsolvable Problems. One great tool for problem solving is podcasts like this one. It's the Read to Lead Podcast with my good friend, Jeff Brown. Our gut, really, rather than our head, is what steers our attention and behavior. So we need to understand how that gut works, how those feelings work, and then we can appeal to it. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hello to you. So glad you're here. This is the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where we sit down each week with a successful and inspiring business book author, and we talk about their latest book and their unique insights and ideas on leadership, personal development, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. In today's episode, we sit down with Tom Asacker, author of The Business of Belief. How the world's best marketers, designers, salespeople, coaches, fundraisers, educators, entrepreneurs, and other leaders get us to believe. I'll be asking Tom about the two realities that have redefined the nature of influence in today's marketplace. Why buying into the human brain is like a computer metaphor is off base. The importance of understanding the thinking mind versus the feeling mind and a lot more. It'd mean a lot to me if you'd visit our sponsors. Blinkist creates business book summaries in audio and written form inside their app. The app is free to try. In fact, there's a free version of the app that serves up a single summary each and every day, absolutely free. Find out more about Blinkist, read to lead podcast.com slash Blinkist. And now's as good a time as any to learn something new. And a great place to do that online is on a site like Linda. Dot com. Find out more about their 10-day free trial when you visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda. Tom Asacker writes and teaches about radically new practices and ideas for marketplace success in times of uncertainty and change. He's a popular speaker and has written several books, including Sandbox Wisdom, A Clear Eye for Branding, A Little Less Conversation, and Opportunity Screams. His latest book is The Business of Belief, How the World's Best Marketers, Designers, Salespeople, Coaches, Fundraisers, Educators, Entrepreneurs, and Other Leaders Get Us to Believe. Tom, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. We're excited you're here today. We appreciate so much you taking the time. Well, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, Inc. Magazine calls it a must-read. A guy by the name of Tom Peters, in case you don't know, he wrote the book In Search of Excellence, says that every sentence should be savored. And an author you may have heard of by the name of Seth Godin says it's a little book with a big idea. So first of all, Tom, congratulations on those accolades. Thanks. I appreciate it. 
Well, Tom, let's jump right in. In in the prologue, you mention a couple of realities that have redefined the nature of influence, I think is how you put it, in today's marketplace. One, you say, is rather obvious, and the other, not so much. Expound on that for us, if you would. Well, our choices have increased exponentially. We're pretty, we're really not aware of it, Jeff. We, we, we're, we're being pushed and pulled in the marketplace just like any other creature, if you will, by, by various stimulus. And, and for example, when we go for a walk through a grocery store, we don't even realize that uh, there are 50,000 different brands that are trying to get our attention and get us to believe and to purchase those particular brands. You know, and we just walk out with 45 or 50 in the cart without really thinking about how massive all this choice is, this abundance in this marketplace today. And, and that's in every, every category, whether it's a product, a service, uh, a charitable. I think there are somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, over a million charitable organizations in the United States. So it's just, um, it's in every domain right now. And we really don't trust anyone anymore. We're easily distracted. We, you know, we don't believe what we read and hear flat out like we used to. And it's difficult for people to gain our attention and to keep it. So those, those are really the challenges out there today. One of the early chapters, these, these the two and three page, easy to consume, easy to digest chapters, one of these early ones, you say, we choose, therefore, we believe. What does that mean? <laughs> so I was trying to understand, when I, when I went into this book, uh, my, my goal was to understand how people make decisions, how they make choices. And I thought, naively thought, and so do most people, that we choose things based on our understanding of those things. So in other words, we're exposed to something, uh, some stimulus, whether it is something online or a sign or a package or somebody meets us on the street and introduces us to something. And then we start digging for information so that we can increase our understanding. And then as we build up this data in our minds, then we develop a feeling of liking, not liking. It's for us. It's not for us. And then we make a decision. And in fact, it does not work that way at all. (laughs) When we're exposed to something we immediately, below our level of consciousness, develop this visceral feeling for this thing, whatever it is. In that, it's that feeling of knowing, this feeling of it's right for us, this feeling of that makes sense. That's what drives us to gain additional knowledge to validate that feeling. And then once we gain that knowledge, we make a decision. So our decisions aren't based, aren't based on understanding and knowledge. Our decisions are based on our feelings and our desires, which drive our beliefs. So we believe that this thing is the right thing for us, the right path for us, the right choice. Is there a bit of the matrix here that we're... <laughs> uh, I know it sounds, it sounds, you know, I'll tell you what you do. Anytime, and I tell people this all the time, time during seminars, I said, when you get confused, especially marketers, Mm. I say, look at the construct that they're teaching, that they've been teaching for the past 60, 70 years, which is this AIDA, that you get someone's attention 
and then you get them, you know, you get them interested and then that drives desire and then that drives action. So reverse that, that desire and interest in that acronym and it should be A-D-I-A. Get their attention and then stimulate their desire immediately with the aesthetics, with the look and the feel and the copy. Make sure that everything is in tune with how they perceive the world. Then you can give them backup information to substantiate that desire, which will then lead to action. So it's flipping those two things. You know, we're in, a, we're in the marketplace, which is a very confusing, fast-moving environment like nature. We are not dealing with a bunch of people sitting in a courtroom where we make these lawyerly <laughs> kind of arguments and then they'll make a decision after that. They're not going to sit still long enough for you to make a lawyerly argument. And you say, too, that the recent theories in, in human uh, judgment that I think are, are, have been influenced by neuroscientific research back this up, right? Oh, absolutely. Listen, this has been – the funny thing is is that people have been talking about this forever. I mean, Plato, Descartes, they all said that we're – you know, we have, we have two minds – you know, David Hume postulated that it was the, our feeling mind, our intuitive mind that directs our, our analytical thinking mind. So our gut, really, rather than our head, is what steers our attention and behavior. So, so we need to understand how that gut works, how those feelings work, and then we can appeal to it. And like I said, then we back it up. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like the, the gut, the intuitive feeling mind you know, is, is the designer of the building. And then he goes over to the engineer, the thinking mind, and says, so this is what I want to design. Will it stand up? Hmm. And the engineer, knowing that that's what the architect wants, says, yeah, it'll stand up. It looks for information to support it, to support that hmm. desire. I, I got a lot of the, out of the uh, TED Talk uh, that you did uh, last year, especially, I think, having read the book and then watching uh, the talk, and there's something uh, from the book that you expound on in it that I thought was was interesting. Uh, why is this ever popular metaphor? The brain is like a computer, so off base in, in your opinion. Yeah, and listen, I don't think we, you, I, or anyone else is going to be able to stop this idea that the computer, uh, that the brain is like a computer, because it, because it deals, you know, with data input, data output. Uh, it has synapses, connections. It looks, you know, it looks like it's an electrical system that does what a computer does. But what a computer doesn't do is a computer doesn't modify the data as you're putting it into the computer. You, know? you put one plus one, the computer says two. It doesn't say, well, I don't like one, so I'm going to ignore that first number. You know? So the answer is one. <laughs> the human brain does that. Human brain perceives things in the environment and it'll screen it out if it doesn't like it. It will make snap judgments about it. You know, it will it will change its its formula or its calculation based on what's up in memory already. So that so brains hum, human brains are trying to make their way through the world. That's what they're trying to do in the most efficient way possible to make it feel good about itself and to, to be safe and sound and, and have society accept it, computers are trying to come up with some kind of answer to a problem. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to come up with the, the answer to a problem. We're trying to come up to the best answer to an immediate problem in an overstimulated environment that we're trying to move our way quickly through 
And, and we don't care. We'll take shortcuts and we'll make assumptions. And that's just what the brain does. Another of these uh, short chapters uh, that stuck out to me, Tom, memory is a construction. This, this idea that what we expect to experience influences what we, what we do experience. It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> our brains are, are wired from experience. So when we walk down, and, and I'll, I'll use just real simple analogies, but let's say you're walking again through this grocery store and you look at this, this bottle from Coca-Cola or from Pepsi and it's clear, you know, it's not brown. And it says Pepsi clear or Coke, you know, Coke clear. So your brain goes into its stored database of memories and says, hmm, clear. Okay, what's clear? Let's see. 7-Up is clear. Sprite is clear. Okay, I don't like that stuff, so I just keep walking. Even though that's clear stuff that they tried to introduce tastes just like cola, but they just took the brown coloring out of it. <laughs> and that's why it failed so spectacularly is because of how people make rapid decisions. You know, they, they, it's based on what's in their head already. And then they use that in order to make a prediction. If, if anything, the brain is nothing more than a, a complicated prediction machine. It, all it wants to do is predict what's going to happen next so that it gets through the day without any big problems. Well, let, let's unpack a uh, story uh, for a second. Uh, most marketers uh, aren't surprised by this necessarily, but you say we think in stories. Uh, there's a chapter called uh, Our Stories Steer Our Lives. Life is our story. All stories evolve. Uh, un unpack uh, just all of that related to story for, for just a moment, if you would. What I find interesting is that people take the notion, marketers right now, but you know, there's it, been a lot of people, they take this idea of we think in stories and they spin it and they say, okay, what, what, what Tom is saying is we should tell more stories. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the human brain operates it in life by taking disparate information and connecting it together in, in some type of narrative. I mean, we think in metaphors. Mm. Try, try to even talk to someone and try to get two or three sentences out of your mouth without comparing something to something else. <laughs> you know, it, it's like we say, oh, it's hot as hell out. You know, we say these things and we don't even think about it. It just flows out of our mouth because that's how we make meaning based on, like I said, what's already wired in our heads. So when I say to marketers, look, people, a belief is nothing more than a story people have crafted in their head. That story is not crafted because you told them a story. It's crafted because they've taken all of these little dots of information that they've seen, packaging, an ad here, a word of mouth there, whatever it is, and they've strung it together and created in their mind this little story of, oh, okay, I know what this is all about, and I know what the benefit is, and I know, you know what it means to me. So they're grabbing information in creating a story. They're not necessarily taking your story and turning that into another story. Mm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yes, 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 it does. I want to come back to something you hit on in just a moment, Tom. 
First, I want to mention that today's episode is sponsored by Lynda.com. Lynda.com is for you if you consider yourself a problem solver. Maybe you're a curious type person. You're the kind of person that wants to make things happen. They've got thousands of courses at their website. You can learn from some of today's top experts who are passionate about teaching. And one of the cool things is you can learn at your own pace because courses are structured so you can watch them from start to finish or consume them in bite-sized pieces. When you sign up for a membership at lynda.com, you have unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all of that for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert or you're passionate about a hobby or just want to learn something new, Again, it's lynda.com. Now, there's a special URL you want to visit in order to take advantage of their free 10-day trial. That special URL is simply readtoleadpodcast.com slash lynda. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash lynda. Well, you've touched on this. There's no doubt that, that we're living in a time where, where power is shifting to the individual. But, but you say it's as likely to cause more stress as it is more satisfaction. Why, why is that? Because there is no way in the world you can make a decision today and say to yourself, okay, I'm totally confident because I, I have exhausted all of the research necessary to know that this is the best choice. You can't do it. If I say to you, Jeff, do me a favor, uh, uh, go buy me a printer. I've got a, um, this is my model MacBook. You'll come back and you'll say, well, Tom, there's like 9,000 different printers. And I say, yeah, you make the decision for me. Just buy me the best one. Here are the criteria I'm looking for. You won't be able to. You'll end up giving me a list and you'll say, look, I narrowed it down to these 10 based on your criteria. You're going to have to make the decision. So when we look at this, we say, well, you know, I, I, you know the psychologists call it, well, I just have to satisfice you know, I'll have to just pick the, the one that's good enough because it's impossible for me to know what the very best thing is. And the more and more this choice gets thrown at us, the more we have to use our thinking minds. And we're not designed for that. We do not use our conscious minds to calculate issues during the day because our brains can't handle all of that work. It creates a lot of energy to turn that mind on. So we use that more intuitive mind to make our way through the world. So armed with that information, Tom, uh, how can we as leaders and in all these other category groups that are mentioned in the subtitle of the book, how can we best leverage this information, knowing what you've shared, knowing what you've dug into thus far? How can we leverage that for our, not just our benefit, but for the benefit of society as a whole, I guess? The important thing, the most important thing is to have the correct perspective of how things work and what's going on in the environment. You know, to understand that people's desires are what drive their beliefs, to understand what those desires and beliefs are that they currently have before you go in and try to create anything that will have them change from that one belief that they're on right now. Because anything that they're doing right now habitually, that is nothing but a subconscious belief. You know, I drive to work down this particular road. I believe it, that it's the best way to go to work. Why? I don't know. You know, once I, I did it and it seemed like the best way, so now I've created this belief that that's the best way to drive and I do it every day. So if you want to get me to change and drive a different way, you're going to have to understand why would I want to do that? I mean, I've got a million things I've got to do today. Why would I want to listen to you talk to me about driving a better way to work? 
there has it has to tap into my in, my desire, my hungers for that. And if I don't have any desire for that, you you can run ads and talk and whatever till you're blue in the face. It won't matter to me. It won't drive me. Once you get me, you know, you tap into something that I desire, then then it becomes a simple process. You know, paint a picture for me of what the future will look like now that I've taken this new route. How will it be better for me? How does it improve my life? Make me comfortable while I'm getting ready to take this new route. Show me there aren't any speed traps. Everything's going to be fine. The road is beautifully paved. As a matter of fact, it's great scenery, you know. Make it easy for me to do it. You know, give me a map. Show me step by step how I'm going to do this. Tell me what to look out for. So it, we get really skittish. I use the metaphor of crossing a, a suspension bridge over a, a, a really deep chasm from one side, where, which is our current beliefs, to this other side of the bridge, which is what we desire. You know, we're nervous crossing that bridge. We might want that thing, but we, we're going to take it gently across the bridge. And leaders have to guide us. They have to show us the picture. Keep painting that picture. Keep showing us the progress Make it easy. Make us comfortable. Show us other people who are doing it. Get us to take a step. Here, just try this one little thing here and let's see how that works so that we can start rationalizing to ourselves. Yeah, it, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I can do this. It, it's, a, it's a really nuanced process. Tom, let me ask you, which of these in your uh, view is, is riskier? Venturing into the great marketplace unknown or secure in your executive position with an established organization, unquestionably embracing the status quo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, you set me up on that one. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I would say that venturing into the great unknown is more risky. Now, if you had said to me, so Tom, what do you think is more risky? Venturing into something that you know about, that maybe other people haven't, haven't really discovered yet. You know, maybe it's something that even drives you or something that's really bothering you and you think you can go out there and you can improve it and fix it for people. So you know about it, but, but you're not sure if it'll work. Now, what's more risky, taking, going after that thing that you understand and know and feel or staying at this, you know, this job that you're not really sure what's going to happen? It's riskier to stay at the job. Hmm. But if you feel something that's driving you about the marketplace and about improving lives, improving your own life. And you say, I would love this thing. Do it. Do it. Because I guarantee you, if you love it, there are a lot of other people who love it as well. Well, I have uh, some questions, Tom, I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book. And I've jumped around a little bit here and there. But before I move on to those questions, is there anything else about the book that you want to make sure we leave today knowing about? My goal when I wrote this, believe it or not, as I started writing this, I said, you know, And I read a lot of business books, Mm. and they were starting to bore me in the fact that what was being written, I either had already heard about it, or, you know, I'm I'm, as I'm reading, I'm thinking to myself, come on, just get to the point, you know, let's just get this thing going. (laughs) So when I started writing this book, I said, try to make every point you're trying to make constrained to one page. And if you absolutely can't keep it to one page, I'll let you spill it over to two. (laughs) But don't go past two pages, because if you're going past past two pages, then you don't really know how to explain it well enough. So when I wrote it, I said, okay, 
these are the things I have to get across for people to understand the marketplace and how to actually connect with people, whether it's employees, whether it's customers, whether it's shareholders, whoever it is, how can I jam this all into this little book? And I think if you read it with an eye towards what you're doing and question what you're doing against this book, then you'll see that a lot of things that you're doing need to be shifted to a different, to a different way of looking at it. You know, I think I may have accused you earlier of including some, some three-page chapters in the Uh-oh. book. But, but as, I, as I skim through it, as you're talking, I realize, no, he's right. They're all one and two pages long. There, there, there is not a single three-page chapter. In all right, so. good, good. <laughs> so, so well done. And I appreciated that about it. I mean, I could read something. I could think on it, comprehend it, go off and do something else, come back, read the next thing, consume that, get my brain wrapped around it, go to the next one. You know, it was, it was very, very easy to, to consume, uh, which, as you, as, you, as you mentioned, I think is missing in, in many, many business books today. When people read it, they need to be really careful. Like I said, people will tune out information that they don't want to that, that, that believe. Mm. And there have been a handful of people that have read this book that, that say to themselves, I don't buy this guy's premise that what I desire is, is what I believe. There are a lot of things that I believe that I absolutely know are true, that none of that was ever driven by my desire. And so they discounted the whole book because they thought the premise was faulty. Mm. But if you, if you really think about these things that you believe, for whatever reason, you absolutely wanted to believe that was the truth. You just can't see it. You can't see it. Like Galileo telling people that the earth, you know, is at the center of the solar system. You know, they locked him in his house for <laughs> the last seven years of his life because they did not want to believe that. And that happens with everything in our life. We resist people telling us that our beliefs are wrong because our identities are tied up in it. So I would suggest that to anyone reading the book, if they get that disturbing feeling when they're reading it, that's exactly what the book is trying to explain <laughs> to them. And I came to that realization. I struggled with that, honestly, early on when I, when I dove into it, and, and I finally uh, you know, pushed through that doubt and, and just opened my mind to, to what it was you had to say. Did, did you find that when you delivered the TED Talk with much of the audience, I would assume, not having had the benefit of the book, was, was that tough getting that idea across in, in 16, 17, 18 minutes? Yeah, it was. You know, I, I actually had some people come up to me after the talk. Um, uh, one was a healthcare uh, practitioner. I think she maybe was involved in public policy. And she said, you know, Tom, I don't really believe this, uh, what you're saying, that our desire drives this. And, and, and you even mentioned, uh, you know, how we try to scare, you know, like kids with anti-smoking campaigns. And you think that's misguided because nobody desires what they don't want and that they'll just tune the information out. Mm. She said, so if that's true, why do you, you know, the smoking rate has gone down. If it, if it wasn't this scare tactic, public service announcements by the government. And I said, my guess is, and I haven't studied this, is that when they started taking smoking out of movies and TV shows, that had a huge impact because our identities are formed by these people that we look at on, on, on the television. It wasn't cool anymore. <laughs> it wasn't cool. That's exactly right. You know, it's uncool. It wasn't, I'm scared. It's, I, it, it's, it wasn't my identity. Mm. It didn't match who I wanted to be. 
Well, as someone who loves to read a, a lot of business books and, like me, has to sort of cut through the clutter, I'm wondering if you could name for us a, a couple of books you've read, Tom, or maybe you're currently reading that have impacted you uh, more than most and maybe share why or how they've impacted you as they have. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of any? <laughs> I just picked up a copy and I read it on a flight last week of a book. I don't even know when this was published. I think in the early 90s. It's called How We Know What Isn't So, The Fallibility of Human Reason in Everyday Life. Mm. So I read that and, and I got a nugget or two out of that. I, I reread things like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, <laughs> you know, and I'll, and I'll get like some nuggets out of that. Um, like you, I've probably read, you know, every business book that's been released, but I'm starting to find that I'm not getting as, as many insights anymore. Mm. What I'm hearing are the same stories, and they're all being framed different little different ways to fit titles. So I like to read you know, outside of pure business and read more sociology, psychology. You know, I like Gladwell's books, and sometimes I'll do a deep dive into some of the sources he puts in those books to discover things. But I think what I'm finding, and I think most people are going to go this direction in the future, is that they're going to start doing deep dives into the th particular thing that interests them. Hmm. So instead of reading broadly, I read things that have to do with decision-making. So I'll, I'll read things like uh, Dan Pink's books, right? Because he's always, he's always writing about decision-making, primarily in organizations, but hmm. he, now he just wrote the, To Sell as Human. What about Chip and Dan Heath? I've read their, yep, I've read their work too. Their work is great. Um, I mean, you name them and, 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 and I, I can tell you whether I've re read them and whether they're valuable. But what I've <laughs> typically found and what I love about business books, books in general, nonfiction, if I can spend $20 and get one insight, man, was that $20 well spent. Absolutely. So that's all I'm looking for when I read a book. Give me one nugget that I didn't know about before. And to me, that's invaluable. Yeah, I agree. Well, here's, here's a, a bird's eye view question for you, for lack of a better way of stating it. 100 years from now, what do you hope, Tom, to be remembered for? <laughs> 100 years. Jeez, to be remembered 100 years from now would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just remembered it at all. <laughs> Yeah, maybe this interview. That would, that would be fun. <laughs> well, let me ask you, Tom, what's, uh, what's next on the horizon for you? What are you working on now uh, that, that maybe has you excited that you're, that you're willing to share? You know, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a podcast right now that we're, we're having some fun with where uh, Mark Ramsey and I talk about the media and marketing and you know, new business models. So that's fun, and, and I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that that gets some traction. As far as books go, I've got two, two ideas right now that I'm teasing out. One is I'm really tr interested in getting people to understand that the marketplace is more like nature. So it needs to look at, be looked at in that way, like an environmental, mm. you know, Darwinian place. I'm not sure. I mean, so that, that's kind of got me turned on a little bit and I've got a lot of notes and I'll maybe go that way. And I've got another one about the stories in our heads, how they create the lives we live. So the, 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 the working title of this book would be Thinking is the Box, How the Stories We Tell Create the Lives We Live. 
little tiny stories that we tell ourselves that don't that inconsequential, you know, a little bigger stories that we tell as a society that impact our lives around us. And then probably the biggest stories that we tell that, that, that determine our trajectory, what we accomplish and what we become uh, as, we, as we age and grow. So I'm, I'm looking at that. That's got me a little bit more turned on than, than the book about the business environment. Well, Tom, thank you uh, for that. And thank you for your time today. I'm loving the book uh, and we appreciate uh, you coming on. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Tom mentioned the podcast he's co-hosting with Mark Ramsey. Mark is somebody I've known for a number of years. The podcast is an excellent one. I highly recommend, especially if keeping up with what's going on in the media is important to you. It's called Media Unplugged, and I'll be sure and link to it in today's show notes page, which can be found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 077 for episode 77. You'll also find links to the books that Tom mentioned and the other resources that we talked about today, too. Don't forget our sponsors, both Blinkist and Linda. And finally, I want to thank those who have left a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Tool Junkie says, fantastic interviews. Deo Samuel from Nigeria calls it his favorite business podcast. And Dr. Carol T. says, I just found you. I binged on over two hours of your episodes on a road trip yesterday. One of the most actionable podcasts I've heard. Thank you, Dr. T. Appreciate that very much. If you'd like to leave a rating and review, and we would love for you to do that, you can go to iTunes or Stitcher, either readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. That does it for another week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.